0: Thank you for tuning in again to the Rocky Brown Ministries podcast. I am Rocky Brown. I remembered my microphone. Well, I remembered the adapter to the microphone this week, so that works out a whole lot better. All right. Has everybody had a good week? Yes, Glad to see everybody. Glad to have Pete with us tonight. I Hadn't seen Pete. I I was this. Like, I was We've snagged feet out of a thunderstorm, so that worked. that's worked yeah, out do, good. I do get, like, I, I encounter Christians, and they, they tell me, like, they, like, they, they pray for me, you Yeah. walking around. That's good, though. Especially during when it was cold, and I was miserable during that ice storm, too. Yeah. Walking to work. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's brutal, man. Yeah, I, the ice storm, yeah. yeah. Cold weather in general. <laughs> All right, if you got a Bible yeah. with you, That's good. I do. I was carrying it for a while. Like I was carrying it around. That kind of drifted away from me. I always drift away and just get back in the focus of That's fine. I'm going to read every I'm gonna read everything we got. So the whole thing. Not the whole Bible. Uh, but we will going to be here for just a little bit. So we're on part two of what? Healing. All right. So last week, what did we talk about? We talked about. Is the healing of the Bible spiritual healing? So we went through that, didn't we? We talked about how when, why someone has to be born again, right? Because you can't heal a, a spirit that's dead, right? So remember, what we proved that in Romans chapter 7 where Paul talks about, you know, that sin, when sin revived, I died, it deceived me, it killed me, right? So then that makes more sense what Jesus told Nicodemus. You must be born again or you can by no means see the kingdom of God and Nicodemus said how can these things be and Jesus said again, lest you be born again you can by no means enter the kingdom of God so we go so there's that so we talked about the whole spiritual healing thing and we proved all that out I feel pretty good about of course you understand it's hard to cover everything in a one-hour message I mean you could just you could just keep on talking about it and you could just keep on teaching on it and keep on teaching on it but so we covered that. Now tonight I want to talk about the reasons, I want to start off with a very we want to dispel a very common myth about why Jesus healed people. Then we're going to talk about hindrances to healing. Right? Hindrances to being healed. All right. So, but first off, I want you to go to 2 Kings chapter 2. Now, 2 Kings chapter 2 You wouldn't think that this is a particular scripture that we would use talking about healing, but I want to show you something. So you'll remember that when it came time for Elijah to leave the earth, that Elisha, he was to anoint Elisha as prophet in his place, right? So you see 1 Kings chapter 1, it's playing out, you know, and Elijah's going from place to place, and Elijah tells Elisha, he says, no, you stay here, and then Elijah says, no, he keeps on persevering, right, and he keeps on going. So then, you get to the end of it. This is about the end of the journey for Elijah, so we're going to start at 2 Kings chapter 2. And it says, And it came to pass when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. Then Elijah said to Elisha, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. But Elisha said, As the Lord lives, as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. Now the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that your Lord that you're, that the Lord will take away your master today. And he said, Yes, I know. Keep silent. Then Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me on to Jericho. Alright? So he says, But as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. So the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that your master will be taken away today? So he said, Yes, I know. Keep silent. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, for the Lord has sent me on to the Jordan, the Jordan River. But he said, As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. And fifty men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance. While the two of them stood by the Jordan, now Elijah took his mantle and rolled it up and struck the water and it was divided this way and that, so the two of them crossed over on dry ground. Now just wait a minute. So let's, let's analyze this for just a minute. So this mantle, no one really knows what it was. They kind of believe it was like a shroud or a covering that the prophets wore, or the king wore, so on and so forth, right? From time to time, this would... This, this would give us someone would see the mantle and say oh this one is one chosen by the Lord so Elijah takes the mantle what's he do he rolls it up and what's he do with it he slaps the water and the Jordan River parts now you'll see that this has happened three times in the course of the Bible once with Moses at the Red Sea Joshua parted the Jordan And now we see here, Elisha takes the mantle, smacks the water, the water's part, and what's it say? It says they crossed on dry ground. So, not muddy ground, dry ground. Right? Now, look at this very next thing that happens. And so it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask, exclamation point, what may I do for you before I am taken away from you? Elisha said, Please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. Now he's talking about the anointing here. So he said, You have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Now watch. Then it happened as they continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. So it went right between them. <laughs> And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And when Elisha saw it, he cried out, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more, and he took a hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. Now I want you to listen very carefully to this next verse. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan River. Then he took the mantle and struck the water... And said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had struck the water, it was divided this way and that, and Elisha crossed over. So he takes, Eli- so he sees Elijah take the mantle and slap the water, and the waters part, and they cross on dry ground. So then Elijah, Elijah is taken up, Elisha picks up the mantle. What does he he directly ask for here, right before Elijah's taken up? A double portion of the anointing that's upon you. So he takes the mantle, and what's he do? He picks up that mantle and he slaps that water. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? Well, what happened when he said that? Immediately, those waters parted. (laughs) That's right. So then my question to you is, where is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals you? Where is Jesus the healer? Does Christ not live in you? Are you been born again? Does the power of God... Does, did Jesus say that you, you I'll be one with you like I'm one with the Father? So when you were born again, that same God that worked all of... the, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ moved on the inside of you. So the same Spirit that came upon Jesus, that caused Him to work all of the miracles, set the oppressed free from the devil, cast out devils, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers and all that, that same power moved on you and in you. So what are you doing with it? Where is Jesus the healer? Where is He? The modern church would have you believe he doesn't exist anymore. The modern church would have you believe that God doesn't heal people anymore. They believe that signs and the wonders and the miracles. I know, but we're going to we're going to prove this. Right. But Hebrews chapter thirteen verse eight says. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So that means He never changes. So that means if He was a healer when He walked the earth, well, He's bound to be a healer today. And if He's not a healer today, then the Bible's a lie and we're all in trouble. But thank, but thank God He's not lying. huh? He is a healer. So where is He? Are you working with Him? Are you cooperating with him? Are you laying hands on the sick, huh? See how you believe affects what you receive. Prove that in the light of salvation. Sam and I, or Pete and I were talking about this before church, before service started. It's very simple to be born again. It's very simple. You believe that Jesus came here? As a man, he left heaven. He laid aside all of his privileges. He came here as a man. Everything that he did here was as a man with the Holy Spirit upon him because he never worked one single miracle till he faced the temptation in the wilderness. And then it says in Luke chapter 4, it says, he left the wilderness and went back in the power of the Spirit. That's when the miracles started happening. That's when he started raising the dead, healing the sick, cleansing the lepers, casting out devils, and doing all of these different things. So if you believe that, then you believe, of course, that he was crucified for you, that He shed His blood for you, that He laid His life down for you, that He went to hell for you, that God raised Him from the dead on your behalf, and you confess Him as as your Lord with your mouth, Romans chapter 10 tells us what? That you'll be born again. You're saved. You are now officially born again. So your spirit is what the part of you that's reborn, not your soul. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. That's the part of you that you're going to be working on all the days of your life after you're born again. And no one's got it totally whipped. And you won't have it totally whipped the entire time you're on this side of heaven. And it's important to understand that. He said in another place, he said, I am the Lord God and I do not change. Think about that. He said, I'm the Lord God... And I do not change. Well, if he don't change, where is Jesus the healer? Where is he? Where is Jesus the expeller of demonic spirits that oppress man, that, that oppress his precious creation? Where is Jesus the provider? Jesus the protector? You see that? Where is he? Well, he's living on the inside of you, and now no one's told you, that if you'll cooperate with him, he'll heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils, and, and cleanse the lepers, and do all of these different things. See, you've been taught all this time that they don't do this stuff anymore. God, quit doing this stuff when the last apostle died. Well, what... <laughs> a lot of people say that. About 90% of the standing church today believes that. But yet... But yet... But yet... If he, is, if he says, I am the Lord God, and I do not change... And he also says, the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Where is Jesus the healer? it's like, a person, like you It's the power of God. It's someone aligning their heart with God's heart. To let the same power flow through them that Jesus had flowing through him. To heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out devils, and do all these different things. Now, many people teach that the gifts of the Spirit are no longer for today. Well, guess what? Two of those gifts of the Spirit, three pertaining to exactly what we're talking about, working of miracles, plural tense, gifts of healings, plural tense, and special faith, if you don't believe that the gifts of the Spirit are for today, guess what? Those gifts can't work through you because they don't believe there's no difference and God will not make those gifts come upon you and work through you any more than He'll come upon you and make you be born again when you don't want to be. Simple as that. It's very simple. It really is very simple. So how you believe affects what you receive. And see, then oftentimes, here's what happens. See, oftentimes, people will get stuck in a rut. And God will heal one person one way. And then ministers misread the, 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 the spiritual water. And they try to get the next 200 people healed exactly the same way. And they're not listening to anything. Now, there is a time when you call for the elders of the church. And you anoint that person with oil. And, you will, and the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up and they've committed any sins, they'll be forgiven. But that may not be the way that He wants to heal Regina. That may not be the way He wants to heal Pete. See, this is why I'm telling you. So It's so important to be in tune with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit say, go do this. Go to this. Go to this person and tell them this. And then do this. Well, see, if you're just hung up on Well, you know, brother such and such did it this way, and God healed this person this way. So you can't force God to do anything. You've got to cooperate with Him. So He may want to heal Rhonda one way, Kathy another way, Regina another way, and all three of them people have the same condition. See that? But see, it's important to understand how God wants to do things. But if you don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit... You have eliminated three ways, that primary ways that God works through people, how the Holy Spirit works through people to heal people. Another situation would be word of knowledge. You can be praying for people, and oftentimes the Holy Spirit will speak and say, don't pray for them. Tell them this. Tell them to do this. Well, so it's listening to the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit says, okay, I want to say this to Pete right now. Well, if I don't cooperate with that, then that message that the Holy Spirit wants to give to Pete won't be delivered through me. It doesn't mean that eventually that message may not get to Pete, but it means that he's going to have to find someone who will cooperate with him. Right? Yep. That's good. So let's look at... Think about it like this. One of the number one beliefs is is that Jesus just healed people because he was Jesus. And Jesus just healed people to prove who he was. And that seems right, doesn't it? It sounds right, doesn't it? But I'm going to challenge you to something. If Jesus... Only did these things to prove his deity and to prove who he was. Why did he not do it in his own hometown? Oh, the Jews. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen to this. Check this out, Pete. You'll like this. All right, now listen to this. Go to Mark chapter 6. I'm on, we, and we're going to talk about something here for just a minute. Now, you'll also see the very same, almost exactly the same account, a little bit slightly different wording in Matthew. But go to Luke chapter 6, and I want to show you this. Mark 6, I'm sorry. Did I say Matthew 6? I don't know. I'm preaching like a fat man stuck in a barbed wire fence. I got a point here and a point there. (laughs) Mark chapter chapter 6. I was just trying to see if y'all was listening. Mark chapter 6, starting at verse 1. It says, Then he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue and many hearing him were astonished saying where did this man get these things and what wisdom is this with which he's been which is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands now listen to the very next thing and it says is this not the carpenter the son of mary and the brother of james josie's judas and simon and are not his sisters with us here with us now look what that very next thing says right here so they were offended at him so they wouldn't listen to what he had to say And they wouldn't pay attention to the mighty miracles that were worked because they didn't want to listen to him because they'd seen this is little Jesus that was playing in the dirt. How could this man, how could this be? Now watch, now it says right here, look at verse 4. It says, But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now watch what the very next verse right here says. Now he could... Do no mighty work there except that he laid hands on a few sick people and he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. Could. C-O-U-D. Could not. Not would not. Not, I'm, not, I'm refusing to heal this bunch of heathens because they ain't listening to me. It says, they, he could there do no mighty work. Alright, so can we be in agreement about the fact that the Holy Spirit's not an idiot? Because the Holy Spirit is the one that wrote the Bible, He came upon men and caused them to write. So, if it was a simple fact of God chose not to heal people in this area, why didn't it say that? But it says right there that, it, and because of their unbelief, it restricted the miracle-working power of God. So we see that not we see two things right here: unbelief will stop the miracle working power of God. It's the same way with salvation. If you do not believe, you will not be born again. I I mean, it's very simple. So think about it like this. If it works that way, with the most important thing, why why would we think that it works any differently with everything less than that? So it says there He could do no mighty work. Well, if Jesus just healed and worked miracles to prove who He was... He sure missed an awful good opportunity to do that in his own hometown, didn't he? Why didn't he do it there? Well, he couldn't do it because they didn't didn't believe. So it's not a situation that God didn't want to heal people. He wanted to. The power of God was there to heal them. But none of them received healing except a few sick people that he was able to lay hands on. Can you see that? That's interesting, isn't it? So Jesus, think about it like this. Jesus never worked one miracle in His own power or His own authority. Not one. And we're going to prove it. And He never worked one miracle based upon the fact, strictly upon the fact that He was the Son of God. Not one time. Because if that was the case, He would have been working miracles before He was baptized in the Jordan by John and went out and faced the temptation in the wilderness for 40 days and then if he was just at his discretion to do it whenever he felt like, whenever he wanted to, because he was the Son of God, why wasn't he doing it before, that, before any of that happened? Because it says after he faced the devil, after he whipped the devil in the wilderness there at the temptation, it says he went back to Jerusalem in the power of the Spirit. Well, then that means that just him being the Son of God didn't carry any weight spiritually till the Holy Spirit came upon him because he was no less, certainly no less, the Son of God from the instant that he was born until the moment the Holy Spirit came upon him and drove him and took him to Jerusalem. See that? See, so we can prove all that, what we're saying right here. Now, go to Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to show you something really cool. <laughs> Philippians chapter 2. I'm going to read you verses 5, 6, and 7. Alright, so listen to this. It's so hard to not go on past chapter or verse 7 because this is some of my favorite scriptures, but i got to stop right here at verse 7. It says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. That would mean that there is something for you to do right there too. See that? It, if you're going to have to let that same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, what's that mean? It means you can... Not let it be there. If you have to let something take place, that means you have the authority to stop it from taking place. (laughs) Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men. All right. Now, you see that made of no reputation. That's four English words that it took to explain what this one Greek word that's used in the Greek New Testament means. This word that's used in the Greek New Testament is the Greek word kono. And listen to what this means. It means to empty, to make empty. Of Christ it says that He laid aside all equality with God. So he emptied himself of his deity privileges and powers and came here like a man, and everything that he did was as a man listening to the guidance of the Holy Spirit with the Holy Spirit upon him working the works. See, so it wasn't him. And he'd tell you that. We're going to prove that. Would you like to have a little bit more proof of that? Certainly you would. See in Luke chapter 4, verse... Fourteen, it says. Then he returned in the in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out throughout all the surrounding region. Well, what happened? Well, he goes in the power of the Spirit, and you come to find out, now is when now is when things are really starting to pick up. Business is picking up, huh? He's casting out devils left and right. He's healing the sick. Raise, I mean, it's going down, right? Now, go to John chapter fourteen. I'm not going to read it. I got the whole thing in my notes here. I got fourteen verses right here in my notes. But I really want to just call to your attention. One, I just really want to call to you attention just a couple of verses here. Look at verse 10. He says, Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not what? I do not speak on my own authority. But my Father in me... Who dwells in me does the works. Well, What's that mean? Whose authority is he speaking on? Well, he's speaking on the authority of his Father that sent him. Who's doing the works? He said, it's the Father living in me that does the works. So then think about it like this. Jesus was just a servant and God the Father said... Uh, you know what I want you to do today? I want you, I know you're standing on the Sea of Galilee right now preaching and it's about to get dark, but I want you to go over here and get on the boat at night and go across the Sea of Galilee to the region of Gadara, for there's someone over there that I want you to set free. You remember the man with the legion? Look at that in Mark chapter 5. He gets on the boat. This is when the storm kicks up, right? This supernatural storm kicks up. And these skilled fishermen are scared. They're, Lord, you're sleeping. Jesus is asleep on the boat. Lord and they say, Lord, we're perishing. Do you not care that we're perishing? Jesus gets up and says, where's your faith? Rebukes the storm. They get to the other side. And then what happens? He runs into the madman of Gadara who's possessed with 6,000 demons. And that man, seeing him from afar off, runs up to him, falls down before him, worships him, and says, what do we have to do with you? You know, have you come to torment us before the time? We beg you by God, don't torment us before the time. Well, you know the rest of the story. Jesus casts the legion out, sends them into the herd of swine. The pigs go off the cliff, down into the, down into the lake or whatever it was, and die. And then that man, he begs to go with Jesus. Lord, let me go with you. He says, you can't. I need you to do something else. I need you to go back to your home." Back to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how He has had compassion upon you. And it says, and Jesus got right back on the boat and went right back to where He was. He went right across there to do what? To set one man free from the oppression of the devil. Ooh, man. (laughs) But see, the command came from the Holy Spirit. Cause see, he'd spent. He was on one side teaching and preaching. Then the command came: get on the boat, go cross. Huh? Jesus wasn't worried. Why? He knew that he had a command from the Father to go. Why wasn't he freaking out because the boat was sinking? That boat wasn't going down. Uh, that, all, all the devils in creation couldn't sink that boat. <laughs> all the water in the universe couldn't sink that boat. Why? He said. He woke. He said, "Why are you of little faith?" See, Jesus knew who he had who had his back. What if we looked at that a little bit differently and thought, you know what, the Lord has commanded me to go here and do this, so you know what, I'm not going to worry about it. And as long as I do what I'm supposed to do, there ain't no devil in creation can stop me, come against me, stand against me, don't matter. I'm going to do what i got to do. I'm going to do the work of my Father. What did Jesus say? He said, my food is to do the work of my Father. Didn't he? Can you see that? So you see right here, now see, we've got to set all this up right you got to see all this because see right teaching leads to right thinking which leads to right believing which leads to right living see it's a process think about it like this we're going to start a study here in 2 I'm going to start something in 2 weeks that the lord has absolutely blew my mind I ain't never heard nothing like it I ain't never heard nobody teach nothing like it and I go and I mean I teach some stuff that I ain't never heard before but this whole thing right here that he's about to do with the mind in two weeks' time, is revolutionary. And I'm not saying it because it's coming through me. But think about it like this. What makes you you right now is the sum total of what's been put in you or taken away. So think about that. The person that you are today with the mindset that you have today, the beliefs that you have today, the, the whole sum total of that is dependent upon everything that's been put in or everything that's been taken out so think about it like this what if you've been what if you've been treated badly in your life what if you've been made to feel like you've been abandoned in your life huh see so you have an emotion that triggers a feeling but you had something that triggered your perception that caused the emotion and the feeling so the way that you perceive something And oftentimes the way that we perceive things is based on how we're taught. So think about it like this. If what you believe is based on wrong teaching, you have no way to believe right. If you've been taught all of your life that 2 plus 2 is 12... And you've been taught that by the people that are closest to you and all these different people and all this different stuff. And then someone, you've been taught that for 30 years, and someone comes by and you say, they say two plus two is four. You wouldn't believe that. You just soon dies to believe that. Well, my grandma taught me that two plus two was 12, and my grandma was the best Christian person you ever met, and mammy and pappy, and I hear this stuff all the time. You're you about to tell, you're just about not going to make any ground in the conversation when they go to telling you who their spiritual mark is. I'm going to tell you something. Your spiritual mark is supposed to be nothing less than the Lord Jesus Himself. And teachers miss it. And preachers miss it. And evangelists miss it. I've missed it quite a bit. And sometimes quite by quite a lot. So we have to establish that everything that Jesus did here, He did as a man who was 100% man and 100% God, who had the power of the Holy Spirit upon Him which caused him to work the works of the Father. So think about it like this. Every single person that Jesus healed, every single person that Jesus set free from the power of some devil, every leper that he cleansed, every person that he raised from the dead, every person that he fed was all people that God the Father wanted to help, wanted to assist, and wanted to set free, but could not because there was no one on the face of the earth that would listen to him like his son. You saw the will of God absolutely unleashed and uncaged in the ministry of Jesus. And it is a sad, sad fact that the majority of the church does not understand that. Because if the church walked like their master, what would we see? We would see people set free from oppressions. We would see... you to walk up to people and say, Oh, you know what? Huh, you have drug addiction problems? I know someone who can set you free. Completely set you free. Do you want to be set free? Sometimes you've got to go up to people and ask them, like Jesus did that man in Bethesda, and say, at the Bethesda pool, and say, I know you've been in this position. I know you've had this sickness for 38 years. I know that you've been at this pool for who knows, for for all of these years. And I know that you have no one to put you in the pool. But I didn't come to ask you about someone to put you in the pool. I come to ask you, do you want to be made well? Because if you want to be made well, then the power of God is present right now, right here, to set you free from anything that the devil's done to you or you've done to yourself. And what happened? Well, bless God, Jesus took that man by the hand and told him, he said, take your bed and walk. And that man went left shouting. Jesus didn't even tell him who he was. That guy got in a big fight with the Pharisees. What are you doing carrying your mat on the Sabbath? The guy They said, the guy that just raised me up from the sick man told me take up my bed and walk. I think I'd listen to him instead of those Pharisees, wouldn't you? Glory to God, them Pharisees let that man lay there in that position for 38 years. But one encounter with Jesus the healer, Set him free. Think about that. We have, they've unearthed the Bethesda pool. We know what it looked like. The Bethesda pool wasn't just an open thing like this, it was a wall, it was walled, and it had an upper pool and a lower pool. And there were great mosaics all the way around it, and colonnades, which is a short roof, and the, uh, and the top was open. And it had been abandoned. And it says, when we look at the Greek, it talks about how the sick were laid in there. Basically, we'd picture that as sardines stuck in a can, one on top of the other. That's how they were there. And every time that the water was troubled, someone jumped in the water and someone was healed. Jesus wasn't walking by there and happened to look in and see this guy, like I see Pete sitting there. He went in there specifically looking for this guy. Now, it doesn't say that Jesus healed anybody else at the Bethesda pool that day, but you know what, you know what else it don't say? It don't say He didn't. And you come to find out in the very last chapter of John that if the works that Jesus worked when He was here on the earth in three and a half years were written down one by one, John said, I suppose the world could not contain the books. So see, we don't have, we don't even have basically the very, very pinpoint, the very, very point of a needle of what Jesus did while He was here. We certainly do not have the sum total of what He did but what we do have is enough for the church to understand you're supposed to walk like this. You're supposed to talk like this. You're supposed to act like this. Can you see that? I don't even know what time it is. My God, it's already 741. I didn't even get halfway through my message here. Pete, we're in trouble. All right, hindrances to healing, right? So we talked about, uh, we talked about unbelief. That's one of them. Now, we're going to cover that one more specifically later. But today, in the last few minutes here, I want to talk about disobedience. All right, so go to, I want to go to Matthew chapter 9. And I'll show you something. Because, see, disobedience is what? Now, there's, we have a church that's sin-sick and, ha- and has seemingly no cure, right? Everybody wants to preach on sin, but no one wants to talk about what the cure for sin is. See, Jesus, the Son of God, was manifested, made apparent to destroy the works of the devil. So then the church is hung up on two plus two instead of the answer being four. Right? So instead of... So we need to start telling people, oh, you're struggling with this form of sin? Guess what? The power of God. God wants to help you. He wants to set you free. See that? See that? But so see, disobedience is what? Well, it's sin. Sin is disobedience. Disobedience is sin. Okay? All right, so now we want to prove something here. Now I want to make a statement, a revolutionary statement that says this. All sickness is in the earth as a result of sin, but not all sickness is because of sin. Now let me say that one more time. All sickness, all type of sickness, mental and physical sickness, is in the earth because of sin. When Adam sold us out with high treason, then Satan became the ruler of this world. Man fell to a fallen state where he had a fleshly body and now he's able to be sick. Okay? So all forms of sickness that's in the earth has always been here, or the ability for it to be here, and it is the root called... It's was permitted to come into the earth by sin. But not everyone that has some form of sickness is due to sin. Regina's come through Pentecostal churches, so oftentimes she's probably heard this a thousand times, that someone's sick, what'd you do? I heard that a lot coming through the Pentecostals. But not all sickness is a result of some form of sin. I can prove that to you in John chapter... I can prove that to you in John chapter 9 in light of the Bible. But I've got to talk to you about disobedience first, right? So go to Matthew chapter 9. All right. So it says this, So he got in a boat into a boat and crossed over and came to his own city. Then behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. Now when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. Well, that's kind of odd, isn't it? And at once... Some of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemes. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise and walk? Now watch, but you may know, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on the earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. Now when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God. Huh, they didn't glorify God while the man was on the mat sick, did they? Huh, I, I don't see one time in the Gospels or in the New Testament where God got any type of glory for someone being sick. So you know what, an ignorant church glorify, tries to tell people, well, God's given you this because, you know, He's trying to make you holy or, you know, He's trying to make you stronger or, you know, one of my favorites is... Well, I tell you, it makes me want to slap people. Is just So, you know, God gives his toughest battles to his toughest soldiers. You know, well, that's the most ignorant thing. That's ignorance gone to seed right there, is what that is. You think God's putting sickness and disease on people? He ain't doing it. No. You think God's kill, out here killing people's kids and wives and spouses and all this different stuff with car wrecks and all this different stuff? Certainly not. No, the destroyer is. Why would he do that? Certainly he's not. Because if he is, then he has no room to judge the devil. So see, but we can see right here, what's it say? What's the very first thing Jesus said to this man? Your sins are forgiven. Now, what did he turn around and say? Now, arise and take up your bed and walk. So you can see that what happened in this particular instance, this man's sins was the cause of what put him in the condition of what's happened to him. Now, that's not the case with everybody. Would you like for me to prove that to you before I go on to the next one? Go, John, chapter nine. I'll prove that before I move on to the very next thing. John, chapter nine. Now this is. Now I'm gonna tell you. You get a hold of this right here. You get a hold of this right here. I'm gonna tell you. This is absolutely gonna. If you'll just let this hit your heart, this change how you see things. You're familiar with Jesus. Now look at verse one. It says, "Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth." Alright, now, listen to the disciples. See, the disciples, at this point, have got a little bit too big for their britches. And the disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, or teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, I kind of think that for a moment there, I kind of see Jesus stand there and go, do you all just realize what you've just said? So here's what they said. Let me put this in in southeastern Kentucky colloquial terms. Lord, did this man's sin or his parents' sin cause him to be born blind or be born this way? Now that seems to me like an ignorant statement. But I'm going to tell you, at one time I'd have asked the same stupid question. I guarantee I would have I know I would have. I would bet you $500 I'd have asked the same stupid question when I was self-righteous. I guarantee you I would have. Well, you know, God knew that guy was going to sin and it was going to be bad, so he just went ahead and struck him before he was ever born. Ignorance gone to seed right there. Now look what Jesus said. Neither this man, verse 3, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. Now that would that would wouldn't that just absolutely concretely prove what I've just said to you here about the fact about that sin is in the earth because or sickness is in the earth because of sin because of Adam's sin, but not all sickness is because of sin. That'd prove it right there, wouldn't it? Because Jesus said, this man hasn't sinned, and neither have his parents sinned. You bunch of knuckleheads. That'd be in the Rocky Brown version. That's the Rock that's the R B T, the Rocky Brown translation. <laughs> now watch what he says here. But that the works of God should be revealed in him. So it was he was permitted to be born this way for a time such as this. What happened? He's in this position. At the exact time that the master walks by. And then, so think about it like this. Didn't, don't you think that Jesus knew that 2,000 years later there's going to be knuckleheads arguing about the fact whether this man, someone's born the way that they're born because they've sinned or their parents have sinned? See, this would answer a lot of questions for a lot of parents right here that have ended up with children that have been born deformed or some type of physical sickness or some type, you see, now certainly the parents' sin can't open the door, but not all of it. So see, we can't categorize everybody By one thing, and you know what? We don't even have the right to say that. Because we don't know. Do we? We don't know. Certainly some people have. Certainly some people have opened the door to the devil and their children have been attacked. Certainly they have. But you can readily see right here that this man was permitted to be this way for a period of time so that Jesus could set him free and in my personal opinion, settle the debate on whether or not someone could sin before they were born and cause them to be born this way now it's sad that you have to think that you have to rationalize people like that but I'm telling you I was an idiot at one time I'd have bought that hook, line, and sinker I ain't, I'm not talking to you I'm talking to me I guarantee you I'd have bought that hook, line, and know it, I know what I would have because I had a pastor that I just sat up there my, I mean my God it was God the Father and the Lord Jesus and then this pastor I mean they just right there all on the same line you know what I mean and that's, that's sad that we get ministers exalted to the point of that. And there's many people that go astray and bite on stuff, hook, line, and sinker, because we love these people, and yet they can never be wrong. And that's stupid. They can be wrong. And I've been wrong. And I've been led astray by people that I love that was wrong. Now, go back to John chapter 5. I'm going to show you something else. Now we're going to go right back here to Pool of Bethesda. I'm going to... It's one of my favorite ones right here. I tell you, this, this is hard to, this is hard to not get me on shouting ground right here. I'll just tell you right now. Go John Terry Five. Now we've talked in depth about the pool of Bethesda here. just I didn't even mean to jump in there, but I got ahead of my notes and I get excited and there you have it. so sometimes we just we just jump right in there. Now, here's the thing I want you to see. Now we know Jesus has healed the man who had this condition for 38 years. Now, it does not say, contrary to popular belief and teaching, that the man was at the Pool of Bethesda 38 years. He says he had this condition 38 years. So we don't know how long he was there. Now, he's raised up. He's set free. He's healed. He's whole. He's well. He's had the fight with the Pharisees over the matter. Now, I want to show you something. Look at verse 14. Afterward... Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you have been made well. Now, what's that very next thing say? Sin no more, lest the worst thing come upon you. All right, so then we can readily see right here that what happened is, whatever this was, whatever this man's condition was, the end result was something that he gave place to in sin. We don't know how long it was. We don't know what it was. All this different stuff. But we can see that the end result of this man's condition was a direct result of sin. Because if it wasn't, Jesus wouldn't have told him. He didn't tell everybody that he healed sin no more. As a matter of fact, that's about the only time that you ever see that come up. He tells the woman in John chapter 8, and that the, 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 the woman caught in the act of adultery, you know, go and sin no more. But she wasn't sick. But see, you could readily see that you could tell that judgment will come because of sin. If Jesus told her, go forth and sin no more, see mercy was given and he told her, he said, go and sin no more. See that? See that tell you right there that just because you've been forgiven don't give you the right to go out and live however you want to and do all this different stuff and everything else. All right, now, I want to show you something else. Now Sam I'm going to land on two more points. Man, I got so much stuff here to say. I, I tell you, I just, I've got so excited that Pete's here, I just, I've just got sidetracked, so. But, So, I want you to look at something. I want you to, I I want to show you something here. Now, go to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy chapter 30. This is the one book of the Bible I can never remember how to spell. So, anytime in my notes, anytime if you were to look at my notes and you see me write Deuteronomy in my notes, I want you to know that every time I type that out, I'm sitting there at the house going D U E, D U R, D U T, D E. <laughs> and then I'm like, I just got to open this thing up. and autocorrect ain't doing me no favors here. Alright. Deuteronomy chapter 30. And I'm going to read to you verses 15 through 20. Now I want you to follow along with this. Now, see this is coming to the end of Moses' life. Joshua is about to take control. Right? Joshua is about to come and he is about to be the leader in Moses' place. Moses is about to die and this is about to happen alright so now in this part now I want you to listen here look at what verse 15 says now this is the Lord speaking right here he said see I have set before you today life and good death and evil in that I command you today to what keep the ten commandments nope to love the Lord your God uh oh But not just to love the Lord your God, but to walk in His ways. Uh Uh-oh. And also keep His commandments, His statutes, and His judgments, that you may, what, live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. So if we simplify simplify that a little bit, the Lord said it like this. Just love me and do what I tell you to do when I tell you to do it, and I'm going to multiply you, and I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to take care of you. Now see, he's talking to the children of Israel. But then how much more is he talking to us? All right, now, but watch what he says here. But if your heart turns away so that you do not hear, and are drawn away, and worship other gods and serve them, I announce to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to go in and possess. Uh Uh-oh, watch here. I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Now, what's that very next thing right there say? Therefore, choose life, that both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord. Here he goes again, talking about love me. I just want you to love me. Love me for who I am. That You may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him, For he is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give to them. So the Lord says this. Listen to me now. I set before you today life and death, blessing and cursing. Now I want you to choose life. Choose life. Well, if he could just force it upon you, why would he tell you to choose it? uh, if it could just be forced on you, it's not a choice. I have to make a choice. And I see here, I have life and death set before me. I have blessing and cursing set before me. And you mean to tell me that all i got to do, Lord, is love you and do what you tell me to do. See, it's really that simple. It's a whole lot simpler than what we've made it. It's a whole lot simpler than we've made it. Now, I'll show you something else. This is the last thing. I want you to go to Deuteronomy chapter 28. You okay over there, Brother Fox? <laughs> Are you, can you hear what he's saying? I can hear him loud and clear. Okay. They probably half the people in Winsburg in me right now. Box. They need to. <laughs> 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 All right, now listen here. Go to Deuteronomy 28. Now I'm going to show you something. Now, see, this is what's called, this is chapter. If you've never studied this, this is what's talking about the blessings for keeping the law and then the curse of the law. All right, now, so immediately, here we go. People are talking about, I'm not a Jew, I don't have to keep the law, blah, 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 all this. Well, you have to keep the law, you have to keep the commandments. Just because you're a Christian, and just because you've been born again, and you're a New Testament, and you're a Gentile, does not mean that you get to break the Ten Commandments, contrary to popular belief. I mean, it's ignorant. We have to have this conversation sometimes, but we have to have this conversation. Not with y'all, but with other people. Right? The purpose that Israel had to keep the law in the Old Testament was that their righteousness was brought from the law. But our righteousness is brought forth by being in Christ. Okay? So that's important to understand. The righteousness in the Old Testament was brought forth by them keeping the law. Now we know that they couldn't keep the law all the time in its fullness. That's why there was the sacrificial system. So what did the sacrificial system do? The sacrificial system provided someone to make a sacrifice on their behalf for what they'd done to come back into right standing with God. Now we don't have to go out and get a Red Bull we don't have to go out into the field and we got a thousand head of cattle out here. Boy, think about that. Now you got to go out there and pick out the best one. <laughs> you got you to get out there. I mean, this was an ordeal. And then if you got that thing down there to the temple and the priest messed that thing up, you're, you got trouble. Now you got to go do this all over again. Right? So we understand that we do not have to make a sacrifice for the covering for our sins because think about this in the Old Testament, all they could do was cover them. But in the New Testament, the blood of Jesus, talks. it talks about is the remission of sin, the complete and total removal. So if I go out and I mess up today, guess what? I don't get to just carry on because 1 John 1, 9 tells me that if I will confess my sin, God is faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. So that means I can be a born-again Christian that has partaken in some form of sin and need to be cleansed from unrighteousness. I don't move out of a right position with God, but that sin has now permitted an open door for the enemy to get at me. Okay? So the blood of Jesus was shed for the removal of our sins, where in the Old Testament, it was strictly the covering. All right? So who knows that it's not? It's a good thing. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. That's a good thing, isn't it? Well, say that's a commandment from the Old Testament. It's a good thing to not commit adultery. It's a good thing to not murder people. It's a good thing to not steal. It's a good thing to not covet what your neighbor's got. It's a good thing to not uh, put any gods before the Lord your God. It's good to not take the Lord's name in vain. See, these are all good things. So we don't get to just do these things just because we've been born again. But a lot of people, unfortunately, think that that's the truth and they reap the results of that in their life. All right, now, so we've said that. Now, now watch what it says right here. I want you to listen to this. I, I want you to go, one, hold your, keep your finger, Deuteronomy 28 right there, and I want you to go over one place. Go over to Hebrews chapter 8. Now see the difference, we well, to show you the difference between us and them. Between the New Testament believer... And the Old Testament children of Israel. Hebrews 8. Hebrews eight. Now, listen to this. I'm going to see this is where Jesus, they're talking about Jesus' priesthood, the shedding of Jesus' blood, and all this different stuff. Now, the Old Testament's called what? The Old Covenant. And we live under the New Covenant. All right? Now, now this is the main point of the things which we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected, and not men. Now, man, for every high priest appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, therefore it is necessary that this one also having something to offer, for if he were on the earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things. As Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle, for he said, See that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Now watch. Now you thought I was reading that, and you didn't know what I was talking about here. Now I want you to read verse 6. But now, he who, Jesus, has obtained a more excellent ministry. More excellent ministry than what? Than the Old Testament priests. Inasmuch as he is the mediator of a better covenant, which is established on better promises. All right? Now keep that in mind, because if it's a better covenant established on better promises then that would mean that everything that comes to this old to this new covenant that we are in would be better than everything that the israelites had access to in the old testament in the old covenant wouldn't it if it was worse it wouldn't be better if they was less to this covenant it wouldn't be better would it huh did you ever move out of your house huh you may live in a three four bedroom house nice place and you sell it and move down to an old outhouse-looking building that's got one room and no bathroom and all this, and you don't go telling people, I got a better house. I sold this house, this four-bedroom house that had two baths and a big yard and all this different stuff, and I, got, and I went better. And they say, what'd you move to? They say, we moved to a utility, a, a 10 by 20 utility shed that ain't got no rooms in it, no wa- no electric, no running water. Well, it ain't better, is it? Certainly it's not. Alright, so listen to this. Now, listen to this. Now, watch to go back to Deuteronomy 28. Now it shall come to pass, if you what? If you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all of His commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, that's your children, and the produce of your ground, and the increase of your herds, and the increase of your cattle, and the offspring of your flocks. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl, that's your food. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord your God the Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord the Lord read that real carefully. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouses and all to which you set your hand and he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God has given you. Well, if you just stop there, that's good. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself, just as he has sworn to you. If you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, then all peoples of the earth shall see that you are what called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord will grant you plenty of goods. Well, that right there tell you that the Lord don't want you to be broke and not have nothing. In the fruit of your body, in the increase of your livestock, and in the produce of your ground, in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give to you. Listen, he don't even stop there. I mean, my goodness. The Lord will open to you his good treasure, the heavens, to give you rain to your land in its season, and to bless all, all, all the work of your hand. You shall lend to many nations, and you shall not borrow. And the Lord will make you the head, and not the tail, and you shall be above only, and not beneath." What? If you heed the commandment of the Lord your God, which I command you today, and are careful to observe them. So you now shall not turn aside from them, from any of the words which I command you this day, to the right or to the left, to go after other gods and to serve them. Alright, now you see that? Now, that's 14 verses of blessing, if you'll just love the Lord and do what He tells you to do. And that covers every possible aspect of every part of your life. Now watch what it says right here. But it shall come to pass. Now we're not going to read all of this. But it shall come to pass, if you do not obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all of His commandments and His statutes, which I command you today, that all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. Now, if you look, put your finger at verse 16. Cursed shall you be. Now watch this. Now probably you have to turn the page. Now go all the way down. To verse 66. I'm sorry. Uh, 68. Now that's all result of what's going to happen if you don't listen, hearken diligently to the voice of the Lord your God. He's not going to bring it on you. What's going to happen to you? You opening the door to the devil. And I want to show you something here, but I'm going to have to read it to find it. I should have put it in my notes. I thought I'd remember it, but I don't. There's a part here starting somewhere. Maybe it's verse 60. Oh, look at verse 61. All right, so you cover, you go all these 44 verses, 46 verses, and you're going to come to find all kinds of crazy sickness and disease and plague and all this different stuff. Now look at what verse verse 61 there says. And also, every sickness and every plague which is not written in the book of this law, the Lord will come upon you the Lord will bring upon you until you are destroyed. Now, that right there would think make you think that the Lord's bringing it upon you, but really what that means is He's going to have to permit it because you ain't done what He's told you to do. But now, don't that say all sick, also every sickness and plague which is not written in the book? Well, that'd be every type of sickness, plague, disease, and infirmity that's not written in this book, in it? That's an all-encompassing term that tells me that every form of sickness and disease and plague and infirmity that's in the earth, named and unnamed in the Bible, is due to the result of the curse of the law. Because it says right there, but if you do not listen to the Lord your God, right there at verse 14, see that? Now, I ain't going to leave you there. I was going to, but I ain't going to. I can't do this to you. I'm going to show you one more thing. I know it's almost 10 after 8. But I want to show you this. I want you to see this. Because see, that'd about leave you hopeless right there, wouldn't it? That'd about leave you hopeless thinking, dear Lord Jesus, how am I ever going to come out of this one? Right? I can't do all this. How am I going to do it? Now watch. I'll show you something. How many of y'all hear me preach on love? How many times y'all heard me preach on love, the God kind of love? Huh? That's the, that's the very focal point of my ministry. Now I'm going to show you why. Hmm? How many, you want to walk in God's best? You want to get God's best? Huh? I'll, I'll take you to Walmart, Pete. Don't worry about it. You want to get God's best? Walk in God's best? Keep walking in God's best? And avoid all of that stuff that goes with being disobedient? I'll show you. Go to the 13th chapter of Romans. Because it's without doubt to be said, well, you've just said that only Jesus himself could keep the law, and that's right and that's true before we were born again. Now I want you to see something here. I want you to go down to verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves one another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet, and if there's any other commandments... Now we'll stop right there. and then we know certainly know there's other commandments, wasn't it? it is, that wasn't an all-encompassing list. We know there's other commandments and, and, and all that stuff, all right? Now, it says, what are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now listen here. Love does no harm to a neighbor... Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. What do you think about that? huh? Don't that make you want to jack-slap the devil? huh? Because, see, you know what? I don't have to set my focus. This ain't a part of the message. But I don't have to set my focus on fulfilling Ten Commandments if my focus is love. If my focus is love, the God kind of love, cultivating the God kind of love that lives on the inside of me, the love that never fails... Then working, getting my soul renewed to, you know what, I'm not going to cuss that person out. I'm going to answer, Lord, how do you want me to answer to this? What do you want me to do here, Lord? I'm not going to hit this person with a pipe. What do you want me to do? What do I need to do here? Hmm? This love right here, if you will set your heart to it, You will fulfill all the law and all the commandments and you will always have legal standing in heaven to go to the very throne of God and say, this has come against me. Now, Lord, I've been walking in love and you said that if I'd walk in love, you'd do this and you'd do this and you'd do this. See, over in 40, Isaiah 43 and 26, he said what? Put me in remembrance. Come, let us plead one with another. State your case that you may be justified. See, a lot of people can't be justified from because, from in the, before heaven because they live in like hell. That's the truth. Christian people. I ain't talking about unbelievers. I'm talking about Christian people can't go to the throne of God and, be, and have legal standing in the matter because they're living like hell, treating people bad. Huh? Treating people wrong. Robbing people. Cheating people. Talking bad about people, huh? Throwing them under doing all kinds of bad stuff that they know they ain't supposed to be doing. So you ain't got legal standing against the devil before the throne of God when you out living like him. And a lot of people don't want to hear that because you know what? They don't want to hear about repentance. They don't want to hear about you must turn away. They don't want to hear about you know what? Love the Lord your God. Make it a point to make him number one. Well, I just want to be me and I wanna and God wants me to be happy. No, he don't, he wants you to be holy. And sometimes you can't be bold. But if you'd focus on being holy, you would be happy. That wasn't part of my message, but there you have it. That's a little side journey right there. Now I'll tell you this. Cheyenne's mom called me one day and said, I've just had Cheyenne to the doctor, and Cheyenne has been diagnosed with the Asian bird flu. I said, Well, I don't rightly know what that means, but it don't sound good. She said, Well, Cheyenne has to go to quarantine for five days. And I can't keep Abby here. Okay, you know, because we've got Abby and Bub here and all this different stuff. She said, Is there any way in this world you can keep her? I said, Certainly. Certainly I will. Absolutely. Well, so I went down to Canada all the parts and picked Cheyenne up and poor little old Cheyenne, ain't big as a minute no way but she was even littler then and she come out and she was all just kind of hunched over and leaned over and had a mask on and she's white as a sheet of paper and just pitiful, running a high fever, sick as she could be I walked her in the house, got her home, walked her in the house closed the door, she went to go lay down I said, no, 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 I said, you come back here I said, you come back here She said, I said, take that mask off. She said, the doctor said, I ain't supposed to take that mask off. I said, you take that mask off. I don't let sickness and disease live in my house. So you know what I did? Laid hands on her. I put the Lord in remembrance of his word. I said, Lord, I've been walking in love. I've been doing what's right in your sight. I've been keeping your commandments. And I said, you said in the seventh chapter of Deuteronomy and the 15th chapter of Exodus, that if I did what was right in your sight and kept your commandments, that you take sickness out from the midst of us. Now, I believe you for it. Now it's got to go because you're going to take it out because I put you in remembrance of your word right here. I said, I'm calling this before your attention. Cheyenne didn't change a bit. I walked her in the bedroom, put her in the bed, laid her down, began walking around. Lord, thank you. You're faithful. Your word is forever established in heaven, O Lord. Now I believe that you're going to take sick. You said it, Lord. You said this. You said this. This, that if I did what was right in your sight, kept your commandments, that if I walk in love, that you take sickness out from the midst of us. Now, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You're the healer. Thank you, Father. You're so good. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Your, your word's true. One hour and 45 minutes, almost to the minute, Cheyenne popped up out of that bed and the fever was gone and her color was back and we spent five days watching movie and, de- and eating snacks. <laughs> As the Lord is my witness. As the Lord is my witness. She popped up an hour and 45 minutes. She popped up almost at 6 o'clock on the dot out of that bed, and she sat she up and she, she said, Daddy, I feel good. I said, I know you do. I said, you want something to drink? Well, she immediately started drinking right there started eating. You know, and then, But now you've got to remember, see, people that are greatly sick, just because they pop up in their well does not mean that they won't be sick or feel weak because of the fact that they haven't had stuff to drink or they haven't had something to eat. Yeah. So I got her a Gatorade and I made her something to eat and she laid back down and slept about three more hours and woke up and was just I mean just rip roaring ready to go. And I mean like I said we just sit and watch movies and why <laughs> well. I mean, we just ate and had a he I mean we just had a hee haul time for about five solid days. We watched movies and had a good time, you know. But but see that's the Lord. See where the, the question is: Is where is Jesus the healer? Well, he's still the same. He's still Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals you. But see, there's so much bad teaching that people have had put in them that's not right in the sight of the Word that it really, really hurts people, really, really hinders people. So we wanted to cover the disobediences, and I didn't even. So I wanted to cover disobedience. I wanted to cover some other stuff, but we'll just we'll stop right there. We'll pick up on the other ones next week. And then we're going to move into means, ways that I have that we can prove in the light of the Bible that God has to heal you. Means and methods. Right? It's very important. So with that said, we want to understand that number one, our disobedience can prevent us from being healed. We've got to remember that. Right? But now, think about it like this. See, if you'll let the royal law of love govern your life, see, when the Lord says, See, if you're being sensitive to the love of God, I really purpose in my heart. I want to walk like, I want to be the one that you've called me to be, Lord, and I want to walk in love. And He'll say, Okay, I want you to fix this. I want you to do this. I want you. He'll start telling you stuff. He ain't picking at you, He's telling you, Hey, I want to bring you up so much higher than where you are right now. I want to just keep, I just keep bringing you on up. And you know what? You'll do things. Love will cause you to go further and stay longer than judgment. It, a million times love will cause you to go further and stay longer than preaching judgment ever would. Now don't get me wrong, there's times we have to talk about judgment. Right? And we can't preach one without the other. We have to understand. But there's a different way between telling people, hey, you know what? If you don't do this, you're going to burn in hell. You tell, I mean, there, now there are times you have to talk to some people like that. I was kind of one of them people we had to talk to that way. But see, it wasn't it got wasn't what got me. Love got me. That's what got me. So if we set our focus on love, think about this. You will not break any of the commandments. You won't do it. If if you purpose and focus in your heart to walk in the God kind of love, you will not break the commandments. Now the moment that you get jerked, out of that, down into the flesh, now's where you got trouble, and that's where the enemy's going to try to drill you, right? But it's important to understand that you can do this. You can do this. You can walk in love, and you can do this. And you now, you know what? You've got legal standing, and you know what? You'll know when you ain't walking in love because you'll know you ain't got legal standing. And I've been there too, and you'll know it. Yep. The Lord will call it to your attention. He'll say, "Now, wait a minute. Before we start having court here, I need you to do something." I need you to fix this. See, because what you we don't understand here is is that sin and disobedience gives the adversary legal right to harass us. It gives the adversary legal right to torment us. That's why Brother Hagin always said, be quick to repent, quick to forgive, and quick to receive. Quick to repent, quick to forgive, and quick to receive. Why? Because you're straying off when a, when a Christian's off in sin and disobedience, you're in the devil's territory. That's like swimming in shark-infested waters. It ain't if you get bit, it's when, it's when is it going to get you, how many going to get you, and how bad are you going to get it? Right? Now you can see readily here why the devil wants to stir people's emotions up and keep them upset and mad and talking about people and that dirty such and such and that son of a blah, blah, blah and this and that and... Or they were to kill that person and all this different stuff and see that's you hear Christian people talking like this and they have no idea that what they're doing is opening the door to the adversary and I'm not shooting anybody here I'm telling you I mean I'm guilty I I'm I mean us. I I mean I'm guilty right and so you can I see I mean with you, <laughs> oh, you, you can you <laughs> Well, you can prove that in Ephesians chapter four, though the Bible says, "Be angry and do not sin, nor give place to the devil." Well, that tells you right there that sin is opening the door. See now, see, it's all about legal standing. You get off in that. the devil's got legal standing to harass you, torment you, aggravate you, and the further you go, the longer he, the more permission he gets. The further you go, the further you go, the more permission he gets. I hope that. Helps. I didn't mean to keep everybody so long, but I'll wrap this up.